0: This is called Democracy, and I love this. Me too. Me
1: too, Bernie. Although it gets a little ugly sometimes, doesn't it?
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left me, choose to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep. yes, I'm stuck in the
1: middle from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles this is your broadcast as heard it's on KPFK so 90.7 FM in LA up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the central coast and 106.7 Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove out in pennsylvania on 93 fm wlri in lovely lancaster out in hawaii on 88.5 fm kaku the voice of maui up in minneapolis st paul on am 950 ktnf the progressive voice of minnesota and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, many other fine affiliates around the globe, including Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker. Muckraker and all around swell fellow says me, and I don't care what you say because I says it. Uh, welcome to another uh, thrilling edition of the broadcast. Of course, Desi Doyan, our producer, is here with us as ever.
3: Yes, I am. Is here. All
1: right, good to see you. And we will be getting to our two count two guests very momentarily, the two remaining Democratic candidates. The president of the United States, however, met in Derry, New Hampshire on Thursday night for a hastily scheduled presidential debate in advance of Tuesday's first in the nation primary election in that state. It was the the first debate since Martin O'Malley dropped out of the race on the night of the Iowa caucuses last Monday, which uh, largely ended in a dead heat with Hillary Clinton barely edging out Bernie Sanders by just two-tenths of one percent, at least according to the results reported by the state Democratic Party, about which there has been some controversy. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. It was also the first time that the uh, the two met face-to-face, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, in this kind of a, uh, of a setting. And that... And uh, the last time they will do so before voters head to the polls in New Hampshire on Tuesday, it was, at least in my opinion, a humdinger of a debate. It really was. It was quite enjoyable, at least for me. Uh, It got uh, more heated than previous outings, uh, particularly in the first half hour or so, as Hillary Clinton uh, is lagging in the polls in New Hampshire by some fairly large margins, uh, if you believe those polls in any event to date. So it got a little bit scrappy, uh, despite its uh, very lively uh, one-on-one nature. It was also the lowest-rated debate of the season for some reason. The debate on Thursday brought in just around 4.5 million viewers, according to Nielsen making it the least-watched debate of the cycle. According to Politico, the next lowest rating for a debate was ABC News' Democratic debate held on a Saturday before Christmas, which brought in uh, almost twice as many viewers. In fact, five previous undercard, so-called undercard, kitty table debates uh, for the Republican Party uh, d- beat, uh, beat Thursday's Democratic uh, debate in the ratings. Now this was on MSNBC. They have less reach than CNN and Fox and uh, the broadcast networks and so forth, but and it was quickly put together at the last minute. They didn't even know as of Wednesday if they were definitely going to be debating on Thursday thanks in no small part to the well to the DNC who's been limiting debates for whatever reason. And so, uh, so yeah, not a lot of people were watching, and that's too bad because it really was quite lively as the two candidates began to draw sharper and sharper differences in their outlooks uh, and how they intend to run their campaigns, both in the primary season, which could go on a while, and uh, if nominated in the general election campaign against Republicans this fall. So, joining us now... To make sense uh, of whatever the hell went on in Derry, New Hampshire, on Thursday night, uh, I've got two guests, both of them top notch. I'm uh, joined by Joe Dunman. He is co counsel for the Kentucky plaintiffs in the landmark U.S. Supreme Court marriage equality case Obergefell versus Hodges. Joe is a civil rights and uh, employment attorney based in Louisville. He was also the co consul for the co counsel for the four couples who sued. Rowan County, Kentucky clerk Kim Davis, remember that, when she refused to follow the law and grant marriage licenses out there. Uh, He also hosts his own podcast called Parade of Horribles. Joe Dunman, Uh, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend.
4: Hey, I'm happy to be back.
1: Great to have you. Before I get to my second guest, i got to ask you very, very quickly about, uh, since you fought against Kim Davis, uh, i got to ask you about the case against her very quickly and the fact that she showed up at the State of the Union address a few weeks ago, uh, invited by, I think, some GOP congressman or another. What did you think when you saw that, when there was Kim Davis being feted at the uh, State of the Union address?
4: Well, the, my mean, uh, I was relieved to see Mr. Obergefell sitting very close to the First Lady, so uh-huh. I was not too worried about Kim Davis's presence. Uh, <laughs> or the fact that apparently it was accidental. Um, <laughs> I, her invite, I think, was, uh, was not intended at first, but she ended up there anyway. But, I mean, you know, we're, we are currently in the Sixth Circuit, still mm-hmm. litigating that case, and we have yet to get a ruling against our position, so I don't worry too much about Kim Davis.
1: Good to know. All right. Uh, Also joining us, uh, uh, returning to the broadcast as well, is our old friend Carolee Coons. She is a researcher, writer, and now the managing editor of the great Crooks and Liars blog at crooksandliars.com. She previously worked at CNN Interactive and WebMD. She's also a regular on the Momocrats podcast. Oh, everyone has a podcast, don't they? Uh, Carolee Coons, welcome back to the broadcast.
5: Well, thanks for having me. i uh, gr- glad to be here.
1: Great to have you here as well. I don't think either of you have joined us yet for post-debate coverage, so I'm excited about that. All right, first, I want to get your—before uh, we get into New Hampshire, I want to get your thoughts on the results of uh, the Iowa caucuses that took place just a few days ago, as well as concerns about the uh, the results that we had on, uh, on Monday. But uh, actually, before that, I forgot, I need to ask both of you— where you all stand, we like to do this, uh, who, who it is you are in the tank for and or leaning towards Joe Dunman. Do you have a, a candidate this year, Democratic or Republican or otherwise?
4: Uh, well, I'm kind of on the outs because I'm registered independent. So mm-hmm. in Kentucky, I can't vote in the primary other than for judicial candidates and whatnot. So, um, but uh, I, am, I am a leftist independent, so mm-hmm. Bernie is, is probably the one I'm, I'm leaning towards the most. Uh, I do I would not see myself voting for Hillary Clinton in the primary at least, so mm-hmm. so if I'm in the tank for anybody it's it's Mr. Sanders. <laughs> All
1: right, you are leaning Bernie. caroly coons wh- where are you on that particular issue in the tank, leaning or uh, otherwise?
5: Well, I'm not in the tank for anybody. okay it's, it's, so let's start with that and <laughs> I'm I, I tend to be a person who's been sort of arguing Hillary Clinton side of things mm-hmm. more just so that there is some balance in the argument. Um, I don't know if I'd even describe myself as leaning Hillary, but mm-hmm. I suppose if you had to put me in a pigeonhole, it would be that. So there you
1: go. All right. Well, listen, I'm I'm glad to have you in that pigeonhole. So I'm going to make you responsible for everything that Hillary had to say last night. So just buckle up for that. <laughs> Carrie. Uh, and uh, Desi okay, Doyen, okay. Have you, are you leaning or have chosen one way or the other? You know, I
3: haven't chosen okay. either way. Um, I mentioned this last time that the primary wars in 2008 mm-hmm. were pretty bad, pretty traumatizing. So yeah. I realize that it's going to be a while before it gets around to California. I may not even get a chance to vote in the primary, so I mean, for anybody in the right. primary, it might not happen by then. So I'm not investing emotionally in it yet.
1: And as it is said, I uh, I like to try to support the voters, even when those voters choose terrible, horrible, awful candidates. So uh, we avoid, I avoid uh, in- endorsements around here, and I will stick up for anyone, uh, at least. Any voters' right to vote have their vote counted and counted accurately, uh, no matter how bad their candidate may or may not be. All right, I mentioned <laughs> Iowa. Uh, Des, if you got clip number seven, there uh, they were. The candidates were asked about Iowa and the continuing questions about the results uh, from Monday night's Iowa caucuses. Let's give a listen here. The Iowa Democratic Party has
0: declared Hillary Clinton the winner of Monday's Iowa caucuses. Do you believe the caucuses are still an open question? Let's not blow this out of proportion. This is not a, this is not like a win and take all thing. Where we now stand, correct me if I'm wrong, you have 22 delegates, I have 20 delegates. We need uh, 2,500 delegates to win the nomination. <laughs> you know, so this is not, this is not the biggest deal in the world. I love and respect the caucus process in Iowa. Uh, see, and I don't have to say it because they voted already. <laughs> I think people are blowing this up out of proportion. But I think we need improvements in uh, the process by which results are determined. Secretary Clinton, will you participate in some sort of audit?
5: You know, whatever they decide to do, that's fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fair enough. OK. OK, well, Carol Lee, uh, last time you were on the show, there were it was after the uh, the gubernatorial election in Kentucky, actually, uh, when there were concerns about the unverified results of that race. Uh, for people who don't remember, they had the very popular Democratic candidate. Jack Conway was leading in most of the pre-election polls. He lost to the kind of unpopular Tea Party candidate, Matt Bevin, the Republican uh, I shared your concerns about those results largely because they were not verified by anybody, even though most of them were cast on hand marked paper ballots. They could have been verified. So it is now there? There's all of these concerns about Iowa. So I, I'd love to know where you stand, uh, Carol Lee. If you think those results should be audited in Iowa, as both the Des Moines Register now has called for, and uh, and the Bernie Sanders camp has as well.
5: Well, okay. So let me start with this. Uh, which is that I thought of you on uh, Monday night as I was watching Republicans' caucus in mm-hmm. Iowa and watching them count the, the little pieces of paper yep. that had names on them. And I thought, this is Brad Friedman right here, because <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's exactly what you've always advocated for.
1: Hand-counted paper uh, ballots at the precinct before they move anywhere. Yep, that's what the Republicans I, did, and the Democrats do a form of that, although a much more complicated one, to be sure.
5: It is a much more complicated one, and I guess that's where I want to start. A caucus is not an election as much as it is a process, and on the Democratic side especially, that's true. So you have people that get into areas in a room, and then you count the number of heads, and then there's opportunities for, you know, depending, like, the Martin O'Malley voters or Mm -hmm. the independent voters or the undecided voters can all kind of be wooed into one group or another, and then you count heads again and then you decide, is this going to be the final one or we're we going to do it even again? So it's, it's a weird process. It's not like an election. And honestly, I think there's a lot of things they could do to improve on how they counted and reported it. There were people that were reporting from smartphone apps. There were people that weren't reporting from smartphone apps. There were people that kept tally sheets. There were people that didn't keep tally sheets. So I don't, first of all, I'm not sure how you audit the results. Second of all, uh, they could do a lot to improve the process Mm -hmm. in the Democratic Party in Iowa on that, uh, and to make it a much more transparent count. Um, And third of all, part of Iowa caucuses is organization and ground organization. So I've heard a lot of complaints about people who were having to register to vote before they could go in, and that's because they had their same-day registration in Iowa, but they had not you know, registered in advance, Mm -hmm. and that creates a bottleneck in the lines. And then you get complaints that people didn't get in the doors, or they, you know, weren't Mm -hmm. in line. And it, it just lends itself to people being able to say, these results weren't right. They stuck. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think splitting the delegates right down the middle might just be the fair way to go and move on from there. I I don't know what to tell you, but there's no way to audit those caucus. Well, well, they can. They,
1: they, they actually can be, uh, Carolee. You can get uh, at least, um, uh, you know, the tally sheets from each of the precincts where they did write down those numbers, make sure those tally sheets, uh, even with the ridiculous and complicated math that Democrats use in Iowa, you can check those tally <laughs> sheets against the numbers that were ultimately reported because that was one of the places back in 2012. You remember the Republicans had that same problem where uh, we later found out it wasn't Mitt Romney who won. It was Rick Santorum. And the way we did it was because we were able to compare the numbers at the each caucus site to those that were reported by the party. And they were eventually able to reconcile that and find out that, yes, indeed, they did make mistakes when it was reported uh, by the party. And I'll tell you, I won't be surprised if that happens here as well. That said, even if there are some changes, it was by and large a tie, uh, no doubt. Right. And uh, I, I, I w- although I would like to see it uh, uh, audited because I think we deserve to know who did and didn't win, what the numbers, what the voters actually tried at least to do on Monday night. But speaking of ties, up until now, the, the polls have been fairly consistently showing Sanders with a big edge over Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire, which she has lately been chalking up to the fact that uh, he has served in a neighboring state, and then, of course, touting her own big leads in other upcoming states like South Carolina and Nevada and her national electability that she demonstrates or likes to because of her lead in most national polls. But now we have the first big national poll poll Since Iowa, and it may seriously undermine uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, premise there because it kind of obliterates her uh, previous uh, huge lead over Sanders. This just out today nationwide Quinnipiac poll uh, showing that Bernie Sanders now lags behind Hillary Clinton nationally, but by just two points, nearly wiping out Clinton's previous 31 point lead. That's kind of extraordinary. It's only one poll, but it's a a huge difference. Right now it's showing Clinton at 44, Sanders at 42. Back in December, the very same poll showed Clinton beating Sanders 61 to 30 percent. So, Joe Dunman, does this uh, begin—what does this have to say, if anything, about the uh, national electability of Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton? Or should we just ignore this altogether because it's a national poll and— who
4: cares? Well, I mean, polls are as trustworthy as you want them to be, I guess. But but I think this speaks to the, the big problem Sanders had early was that he didn't have much exposure. He wasn't on cable news. He wasn't on broadcast news. He, you just didn't hear about him outside, you know, the the, the Democratic bubble or, mm-hmm. or on, you know, left-wing Twitter. You just didn't hear much about him. And now that he's been in an, elec- in an election uh, or a caucus uh, process, mm-hmm. he tied Hillary Clinton Um it, it legitimizes him in a way that, and and then presents him that in a way that can't be ignored. We all are we all are going to hear uh, what the results are of, were from Iowa. We're not going to depend on, you know, CNN to put him on or MSNBC to have him on or whatever. Uh, it, he's gonna his name is finally going to be out there, and I think that that has helped tremendously. And as far as the tying goes, uh, back to the the question of of the uh, the legitimacy of Iowa, mm-hmm. you know both. Both candidates handled that question very, very well. I mean, it it benefits them both to, you know, to just play it safe and say, hey, look, there's a process that they want to audit. It, that's fine. Uh, the only person who really stands to lose is, I think, Hillary Clinton, because if the audit reveals that she didn't win, it looks like she wasn't very strong at all. Mm-hmm. If uh, the audit reveals that she won by a larger margin, well, that was kind of expected anyway. So, so I, I think I think they're both playing it safe, and and also safe to downplay the whole thing too, because it's just it, it's one state. It's a long way to go yet. Um, a lot of things could happen from now until the uh, closer to the nomination. Um, so, you know, I think they're both playing it safe, but I think overall, you know, the tie really helps Sanders. It gets his name out there, makes him look like a legitimate contender. Um, and I think we're seeing that bump in the polls. Who knows? This this one could be an outlier. We don't know yet, but uh, but it, it doesn't seem shocking that his numbers would go up now.
1: Well, it doesn't seem shocking, but, boy, they went up a lot. Again, that's just one poll, but that's a lot of ground to cover in a month, and we'll have to see what the other polls say. Uh, I, I, I need to get, in a minute or two here, to a break, and then we'll get into the debate proper where they weren't playing it quite as safe, at least Hillary. She kind of came out swinging on a number of occasions after... As did Bernie. But before we get into those specific uh, 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 quotes from the uh, clips from the uh, debate, I want to get very quickly both of your thoughts on this. Desi Doyen mentioned you mentioned this at the uh, at the top of the show, but we are already now seeing these signs of the of the rancorous divide that we saw back in 2008 between uh, among Democrats, between Obama and Clinton supporters at the time. It got really ugly over that long and i would say excellent battle for the nomination back in 2008 is that what we can expect this time as well uh carolee is this going to go on for a while is is and is it already getting ugly over at crooks and liars or i mean i'm seeing a lot of uh kind of ugly stuff and i'm not sure why people get so furious about it when all they're trying to do is support their candidate but i think we're seeing that again what are you seeing out there carolee
5: Oh yeah, it's it's definitely contentious, and I share the PTSD of 2008. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. it it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I I hate primaries, and I love primaries. I, it, it, it's contentious, and it's going to be continuing to be contentious. And I saw it again in 2010 during the healthcare debate, and it was contentious then. So let's just hope we can all come together, uh, no matter who the, the nominee ends up being. At least we've got great candidates.
1: And, and when I hear from—I hear also from Democrats sometimes that they're worried about how contentious it, it gets. Uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, supporters are worried about that, uh, I've heard. But the fact is, even with that long, ridiculously long uh, and fantastic uh, contest in 2008— it still ended up in a landslide for Democrats, nonetheless. So the biggest uh, and it had the biggest voter turnout in history in 2008. Doesn't that suggest that a good fight among partisan Democrats isn't actually all that bad for the party, as many uh, worry or suggest, Joe Dunman?
4: Well, I, I think what happened in 2008, uh, it helped that there was a the nomination went to a candidate that lots of people wanted to vote for. Um, and so it, it depends. I don't know if if Sanders or Clinton will be uh, that candidate who inspires a big Democratic turnout. But I think that whether or not whether or not people argue in the meantime, it matters less than the end result. If the candidate at the end of the process is somebody who really inspires people, then I don't think the Democrats have anything to worry about as far as turnout. No matter how you know internal, you know how f- mm-hmm. vicious the internal debate is to get there. Um, You know, I mean, people, you know, I I argue for a living. People argue online about politics. They care very deeply about it. Um, People have been predicting uh, a tremendous split among the Republicans uh, for years, and they keep voting for each other. And I, I think the Democrats, there is an internal split between older, you know, older members of the party and younger members of the party. But ultimately, if there's a candidate that everybody feels comfortable voting for and there's a sufficient, you know, Boogeyman on the other side, uh, I, don't, I don't think the Democrats are going to have to worry about turnout.
1: Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about that question of who is inspiring voters uh, and who voters are comfortable with. Because, you know, I, I, I like to focus on the issues, but the fact is this may come down to, uh, you know, a choice of who inspires you versus who do you feel safe with. We're going to talk about that after this break uh, with my guests, Joe Dunman and Carolee Coons and Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned.
0: We need a political revolution where millions of people stand up and say loudly and clearly that our government belongs to all of us. What we have got to do is wage a political revolution. That is what the political revolution means. say you want a revolution.
2: we all want to change
1: it? Do, do Americans want a revolution? Do Democrats want a revolution or do Democrats want to just stick with what we got and uh, you know not not risk frankly losing the White House. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with our coverage of uh, our post debate coverage of the uh, uh, Democratic debate in New Hampshire in advance of the New Hampshire primary on Tuesday with my guests, Kentucky Attorney Joe Dunman and Managing Editor of CrooksAndLiars.com, Carol Lee Coons. All right, welcome back, guys. I want to uh, play... It got heated between the two of them. It was actually fantastic. And uh, moderator MSNBC moderators Rachel Maddow and Chuck Todd kind of just st- sat back, it seemed like, and let these uh, candidates go at it a little bit, in particularly in the first half hour. And I think it was a good thing Let's get a taste of that because, well, because I think that this early fight actually sets up the entire fight of where this uh, nomination battle may go. So, go ahead. Please tell us why you think if he's elected president on a platform of promising things like free public college and universal health care, that he cannot achieve those things.
5: I've been fighting for universal health care for many years, and we're now on the path to achieving it. I don't want us to start over again. I want to build on the progress we've made. The numbers just don't add up from what Senator Sanders has been proposing. That's why all of the independent experts, all of the editorial boards have concluded that it is just not achievable. Let's go down a path where we can actually tell people what we will do. A progressive is someone who
1: makes progress. That's what I intend to do. Senator Sanders, you've spent nearly two decades in
0: Congress and haven't gotten any of these things passed. Why do you think as president... You'll be able to achieve big new programs. Well, I haven't quite run for president before Uh, (laughs) You know Every major country on earth Whether it's the UK whether it's France whether it's Canada has managed to provide Healthcare to all people and they are spending significantly less per capita on health care than we are So I do not accept the belief that the United States of America can't do that. I do not accept the belief that the United States of America and our government can't stand up to the rip-offs of the pharmaceutical industry. I do believe that public colleges and universities should be tuition-free. I do believe that we substantially lower student debt in this country. We pay for it by a tax on Wall Street speculation. The middle class bailed out Wall Street in their time of Need. Now it is Wall Street's time to help the middle class. If,
4: if I could just follow up on that.
1: So it, it seems like that was just one of the exchanges where they were going after, you know, Bernie Sanders obviously has these big ideas single, uh, single payer health care, uh, free college tuition for all. He says, you know, we need to reform the system. He says we need a political revolution. So it seems like and I want to get your thoughts, uh, Joe and, and uh, 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 Lee. both Joe Dunman. Uh, this seems like this battle is coming down to this fight between whether Democrats should defend the existing Obama policies versus pushing the envelope by reforming the system. And, and well, in 2008, you'll remember Obama's mantra was, yes, we can when he opposed Hillary. And now she's sort of wrapping herself in his policies, uh, trying to keep the uh, the, the so-called Obama coalition together by kind of saying, no, we can't or no, we shouldn't to a lot of those policies. Uh, What's your thought, Joe Dunman?
4: Well, I mean, unfortunately, it sounds like she's playing to something uh, uh, Kentucky Democrats are very familiar with, which is lower your expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it has not done well for us here at all uh, as far as the Democratic Party goes. Um, but, you know, she's she's trying to be pragmatic, and she's trying to say, look, it's very unlikely that Sanders is going to achieve these big goals, so, you know, don't waste your time with it. But she also, her, her, her criticism of his position is based on something that he called her out on, in that the idea that we'd have to scrap uh, the ACA, Obamacare, mm-hmm. uh, and go back to something or nothing— uh while sanders works towards universal single payer and he said well i've never advocated for that and why would we scrap a program uh before we install a new one uh and so it it's a little disingenuous on her pro, her part but she's she's right in the next 4 years Bernie Sanders is not going to be able to achieve universal single-payer in the United States. And I don't think that he's actually arguing that he would in four years, but that we should set our sights higher and that we should set big goals and then work towards them. And if you think about the Republicans and the way they approach politics, they never say, well, that's not a very pragmatic idea. Let's not advocate. Like, let's not say ban abortion anymore, because that's probably not going to happen in the next four years. They say, yeah, we're going to ban abortion. Mm-hmm. We may do it in two decades, but we're going to make get it done. And I think that there's a lot of Democratic voters looking for that kind of long-term view that Clinton does not deliver.
1: Carolee, your thoughts on that is is Hillary being, because I, I, I do share uh, Joe's uh, thought there, that she is being somewhat disingenuous in the way She's fighting against uh, Bernie for single payers, you know, saying uh, we shouldn't scrap of uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. He's not going to scrap it. He wants to replace it with something he feels is better. So that seems a little bit disingenuous. But the, uh, So I want your thoughts on that. But also, should the bigger idea, should Democrats be defending their positions at this point, or should they be pushing the envelope, frankly, uh, as Joe says, the way Republicans do?
5: Okay. Well, I have to just disclaimer every time that I that we start talking about healthcare again, I get very tense. <laughs> 2010 was just horrible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
5: so so understand that. But um, I first of all, I'm going to give you my reaction uh-huh. to his plan without defending her uh, mm-hmm. claims and you tell me whether that's disingenuous. Okay. I went and looked for specifics, before he actually released specifics on his plan. Right. And the closest I could get was his 2013 act that he uh, introduced for single-payer. And in the preamble to that, it repeals the Affordable Care Act. It repeals uh, TRICARE. It repeals all these things and then replaces it in the same act. Right. Okay? With universal single-payer. So it wasn't, in my opinion, I mean, I read it the same way. I read, okay, we're going to drop all that and we're going to put this thing in place instead and and i was disturbed by it because knowing what i know about how you pass health policy in this country and knowing what i know about how desperate republicans are to take the one you know signature piece of legislation away from obama that he thought
2: uh-huh. uh
5: while we had a democratic majority that that gave me stress so <laughs> I, and and i did read it as this is a possibility that they could actually they could succeed in repealing it, and we wouldn't succeed in replacing it because we're litigating something that's a done deal.
1: But you said, but you, didn't you say, Carolee, that it is in the same act that he uh, it r- repeals the, it, it is and replaces in the same it? Act. Right. Yes. Right. So if they but don't, pa- not, yeah, if sure. you're
5: not going to get single payer passed, and let, and I think we all understand that that piece, that as a practical matter, you're not going to get single payer passed. So then the question really is well what is the right pathway to single-payer so that and that let me take that to your second question which was the the aspirational side of it Mm -hmm. okay on the aspirational side of this i totally agree with bernie sanders 100 percent, that we should get the universal health care that it should be single payer my pathway is different than than what he's describing right now my pathway is an incremental expansion of medicare to younger people, mm-hmm. and other, so and, and and that so slowly you sort of are transitioning into a single payer system mm-hmm. out of the current one. That that's my aspiration. So he is absolutely 100% right on the money to aspire to single payer system. I don't agree with the pathway that I've read from his proposal that he did release that that it's possible with that pathway so let's talk about practical ways to get there and i felt like that's what she was trying to say too it's like we all have the same goal. The question is, what's the
1: pathway to get there? Desi Doyne, you had a thought?
3: Yeah, that's that's kind of how this looks to me from the helicopter view that we're talking about the difference between what is considered politically possible, achievable, versus a vision. So we're looking at, oh, what are the practical steps versus a vision for the country going forward? And, and that's a great conversation to have in the primary. And I think what we need to consider is how is that going to play in the general, is saying, hey, this is achievable and practical and modest, and that's not very inspirational.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. It is not inspirational. But also, you don't go into a negotiation saying, well, we're not going to get what we want. Therefore, what else do we want? I mean, that was the problem, frankly, with Obamacare, uh, with the Affordable Care Act. Had they gone in demanding single-payer they probably would have compromised on the public option. But when you go into a negotiation and you say, as uh, Carolee, as you did that, oh, well, we're not going to get we're not we're never going to get single payer or we might, but it will take a long, long time. You go in arguing for what you want. And as you said yourself, Carolee, his bill would do away with Obamacare at the same exact time that it creates Medicare for all, at least as it's written. So. I, I don't understand why you well it, it it seems hypocritical that she's sort of wrapping herself in in uh, uh, Barack Obama's uh, you know administration and his yes we can attitude by saying no we can't and I want to get Joe's thoughts but uh, Carolee I want to let you respond to that
5: okay, well. I mean, what are we talking about here? If we're talking about election rhetoric, of course, yes, we can, and higher aspirations matters. But here's the fact. It was lucky that that the Affordable Care Act got out of committee with a public option in it in the House. And it it wouldn't have mattered if you had asked for single payer. It wasn't going to happen because there's too many people who uh, aren't going to let that happen. They have too many reservations. You're going to have to... this is a very long conversation and this is probably not the place to do it. But, and again, I preface all this by saying I'm so traumatized by what happened in 2010 that I'm I'm still not completely rational about it.
1: All right. Well, we don't want to, we don't want to traumatize you further. Let me get Joe's thoughts. Uh, (laughs) Let let me get Joe's thoughts on that. Joe.
5: Look, just from a
4: meta perspective, uh, what I think Sanders is doing is, is very good for the democratic party. He is, he's driving the dialogue leftward. And when you do that, you, you, inspire legislative creativity. And what I mean is you you show legislators that look, leftist policies are both popular and possible. You know, if, if we start thinking about them, we can come up with good ways to to make them reality. We don't ever think about them in this country for the most part. It is it is very pragmatic and very shifted towards the right about what is, what is possible and what is realistic mm-hmm. and what's serious. And I think just by inspiring people to think more broadly and think about what's possible can shift that in a direction that we can eventually get these policies done. I mean, like I said, this is the Republican strategy. You put ideas in people's heads, and they will work towards them over time. Mm -hmm. If you start at a compromised position, people won't even think down the road that far. They won't think you will not inspire the next few senators or the next few uh, representatives, the younger ones to be elected in the next few years, to even try for that. And so I think, you know, just from a, from a g- very grand ideological perspective, that Sanders' presence in the race and, and maybe even in a general election will help drive that rhetoric leftward. And it helps that the Republicans all seem totally incompetent this time. So, There's that. And he may inspire Clinton to, to ad- adopt some of that rhetoric, and she has. They had a big argument about being progressive, uh-huh. and I think that he's benefiting her in that way too. Uh,
1: go ahead, Carly. Can
5: I just... Just one, one thing I'd like to say is I totally agree with all that, and believe me, I am an, you know also hoping for big things. What I worry about, and maybe I shouldn't, but it is, is that when, we, when disappointment sets in, when the pragmatic, when the practical process of getting this stuff done, grinding it through with the right wing spending millions to, to try to kill it,
2: mm-hmm.
5: when that process happens, people check out. And they and, and then they're disappointed. Then the person they thought was a hero is no longer a hero to them, and they get cynical. That's well, what worries me. Well,
1: yeah, but again, it feels of. like it feels like that's a matter of negotiating with one's self. I, I let me, uh, Joe, uh, as an attorney, you don't go into a case, uh, you don't you don't file a lawsuit and let them know in advance. Well, we'll probably settle, or you don't go into a settlement negotiation and you know for. You know, you ask for a hundred million dollars, and if it comes down to fifty million or less, then so be it. You don't go in there with your with your last agreeable position, and so that's why that's kind of. You can tell me if I'm wrong. You're an attorney, I'm not, but it seems like you go in big guns. You let the other guys do the negotiation, right?
4: Well, as a plaintiff's attorney, we're always happy to settle. Um, but uh, but to your point, I mean, yeah. You have to think. You know, the 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 aspect that I think Carol Lee is talking about is that sense of betrayal, and it was felt very distinctly by a lot of Democrats when Obama compromised. You know, led with compromise. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you campaign on hope and change, and then you go in and what appears to be, and it and it may have been the right move. We got the ACA out of it, and you know, I have big problems with the ACA in some ways, but I think it was a huge benefit overall. And but but. It, it seems like a betrayal. If Sanders, for example, takes office and he maintains his principles but does not achieve all his goals, there will not be that sense of betrayal. The, the, the ire will be aimed at the people who stopped him. And not if he stops himself, as I think Obama per, is perceived as having done to himself at, at times, if Bernie stops himself, then people will feel betrayed. But if other people stop him, that ire will be directed outward, and so I, I do not worry about the, di, you know, the disenchantment that that struck the Democrats after some of the compromises uh, Obama struck. Um, that I, I don't, I don't worry about that because you know I know I felt betrayed by a lot of things, um, you know, the compromises that happened, and as long as Sanders, for example, or Clinton even maintains their principles throughout and seems to be fighting from a strong position, the strongest position they have. I, I'm just, I don't. I don't worry about that. I'm going to be disappointed if they don't achieve their goals, but that's life. That
1: yeah, happens. Well, you know, and I don't think that actually their positions are all that uh, far apart, or at least that they don't need to be. Uh, you know, in fact. He could go in there calling for single payer, uh, Medicare for all, and they could start, as Lee suggests, by expanding Medicare to just young people and expanding the ages up from there. Or right now, Medicare covers you as of 65 years old. Bring it down to 55 and work your way down. I don't think they are that far apart that she needs to go out and say, "Hey, you want to destroy Medicare and Medicaid and the Obama and uh, the ACA, uh, the Affordable Care Act?" Uh, That just feels disingenuous to me. That said, Joe Dunman, let me ask you this, because Hillary is essentially suggesting that the danger of a Republican winning the White House is just too great, that she presents uh, a more cautious choice, a safer choice in that respect. Uh, while Bernie's out there with his, uh, you know, calling for political revolution and the concerns that he will just be cut to pieces with this, uh, you know, single payer, these radical revolutionary leftist ideas. So, uh, you know, is she right? Is there too much at stake to, uh, to, to take a chance at this time? Is it better to make a safer choice? And by the way, is Hillary Clinton even a safer choice, uh, Joe, as as you see it, because the polls suggest Bernie would do better against Republicans.
4: Well, the, the safe, pragmatic choice is not doing well for Democrats nationally. Um, we uh, the last few Democratic uh, candidates we've had in Kentucky for governor and for Senate have been destroyed in the polls. Um, they the running to the right does not work. Um, you are not going to convince Republicans to vote for a Democrat when they already have a republican to vote for um, and so I, I i don't i don't believe that there's a safe bet that will that is safer against the Republicans, especially if it risks disenfranchising younger voters who are not inspired and who who don't want more of the status quo um i, I don't i don't believe it i don 't vote for uh, you know if if unless it's a horrible option from the Republicans I don't vote for for Democrats who run safe and to the right mm-hmm. um, because I don't support those policies I don't you know I don't want a, another conservative in, in office so um, you know I think Clinton has problems in that regard in that the safe bet is a status quo that has left a lot of people behind um, and that you know mm-hmm. th- we need we need somebody that that is going to change the 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 uh, the dynamic and look at obama in 2008 barack obama did not seem like a safe pragmatic run-of-the-mill choice in 2008 and he won by a lot so
1: no but to be fair a ham sandwich could have run could have won the white house in 2008 if they had a democrat if they had a D next to their name i mean that's how bad the uh the george w bush administration had left this country i could have won uh running as a democrat back in 2008 carol lee uh though is is the point that hillary's making is that a good point to, to be more careful, that she is the uh, more careful, the safer choice, given all that is at, uh, at stake? Or is Joe Dunman right that, uh, hey, safe never works?
5: Well, we haven't even come to addressing foreign policy. I, I don't think I would describe Hillary Clinton as safe. I don't think I would describe her as conservative, to be honest. Uh, she's run to the left of him on guns. She's mm-hmm. run to the left of him on uh, reproductive rights, which nobody ever talks about in debates. Uh, and, you know, getting rid of the Hyde Amendment, which which is a big deal to women. Uh, And I don't... I I mean, I don't see her as... I I know the kind of candidate that Joe's talking about, and I agree. The ones that run away from the accomplishments that have been made, even if they weren't all of what we wanted, uh, lost, and rightly so. They made me mad. (laughs) They should lose. Mm -hmm. But, but, I mean, it... I think it's it's unfair to say that she's a conservative Democrat. I don't think she is a conservative Democrat. I do believe that she is more pragmatic than he is, and that she uh, tends to be much more. This is how we can get stuff done, and maybe that's not a pretty message, but it might be the one we need to have right now. I don't know. I I like, but just for the record, I like Bernie Sanders' message. mm -hmm. I do. I I like that he reaches high, and and. It, it's attractive to me, but the, there's a little voice behind that that says, all oh, that's great, but how are we going to get stuff done? And stuff is going to have to be done, and he, like budgets, you know, things like that.
1: And do you think they're how going to work? be more, that Republicans are going to be more likely to work with Hillary Clinton? Really?
5: I don't think Republicans are going to be more likely to work with anybody. Let's be honest right. here. Right, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I think we can safely, you know, if we're going to be completely honest here, I'm not arguing that Republicans are going to be cooperative with uh-huh. Hillary Clinton. I do think that uh, she has the benefit of some experience dealing with them uh, that helps. And it, yes, Bernie has also been in office for 25 years, and but it has been consistent, as you point out, with his message, even if that means he doesn't move anything through. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like. He got the VA thing through, but he had to actually
1: compromise on that well, to get it through. The uh, Vet- Veterans Administration uh, uh, a bill, and yeah, he had to compromise, but that kind of underscores the fact that he is willing to compromise, it seems to me. And again, not as an argument for or against them, but just uh, as a counter Uh, To the notion that uh, Hillary can get things done, whereas Bernie can't. I don't know if that's true. Uh, I got to take a quick break. Yeah, let me let me let's take a quick break here and we will come back. We've got man stuff is flying by Desi was up all night long pulling clips and now we've gotten to hardly any of them. But we'll try to get to a few more after this break. Uh, Here on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman with my guests, Joe Dunman and Carolee Coons and, yes, Desi Doyen. Stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Please clap.
5: I've been vetted. There's hardly anything you don't know about me. Getting to know you. Getting to know all
3: about you. To Welcome back to
1: the Hating broadcast to and our uh, coverage of the Thursday night Democratic Debate, the one on one debate between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in New Hampshire, with my guests, Kentucky attorney, civil rights attorney Joe Dunman, and, uh, and Carol Lee Coons of Crooks and Liars. Okay, guys, we got just a few minutes, uh, very few minutes here left. So I want to try to get to a couple of points. Keep your answer short. I'll try to keep my question short as well, if possible. This is clip number five. Uh, The problem, Hillary Clinton says, is larger than just Wall Street. She says Bernie Sanders has been going after Wall Street and that that is not a big enough target.
0: Madam Secretary, it is not one street. The business model of Wall Street is fraud. Corruption is rampant and the fact that major bank after major bank has reached multi-billion dollar settlements with the united states government when we have a weak regulatory system tells me that not only did we have to bail them out once if we don't start breaking them up we're going to have to bail them out again and i do not want to see that happen well sir,
5: no one wants to see that happen this was a disaster for our country And we can never let that happen again. We have no disagreement about this. But I think it's a broader target list than
1: just Wall Street. So the business model of Wall Street is fraud, says Bernie Sanders. Uh, Well, that's a message that may appeal to a lot of people. But is he not uh, drawing a wide enough target, Joe Dunman, as Hillary Clinton charges?
4: Well I just want to say it was extremely refreshing to hear a national candidate for the presidency say that uh, instead of glossing over uh, the problem I mean yeah I mean the corporate you know corporate greed and and the the system that we've installed in the corporatist system that we have in this country is broader than Wall Street but wall street's the linchpin it's the it's the center of the universe and you know to to put your focus on them i think is is absolutely fine and and not
5: missing the big picture well i i agree that the focus should be on wall street uh... it is just that she her argument about uh... closer look at derivatives and uh... you know the shadow market is a good one Mm -hmm. and i i think it's worthy of of note that she's not disagreeing with them she's just expanding the definition a little bit more so I think, in in essence, both of them agree on that one
1: thing. And can she take on Wall Street? There was a call, we don't have time to play the clip, but there was a call to release uh, the transcript of her speeches that she gave to Goldman Sachs and others for hundreds of thousands of dollars that she got. Can she uh, legitimately, uh, where is this, Uh, AP had a a fact-check piece here showing that she received some... Well, let's see. Uh, the securities and investment industry gave more than $17 million last year to uh, super PACs that supported uh, Hillary Clinton, $3 million directly to her campaign. Is it legitimate to think that she will really take on these people who have given her millions, $20 million in just the past year, uh, Carolee? I
5: think so. I mean, those are... Uh employees but yeah you know, I mean it's not like the the CEO of Goldman Sachs gave her that much money it came from employees in the industry I imagine Bernie Sanders has gotten some small donations from uh, employees on Wall Street too who think that the system is corrupt so I, I yeah I don't see that as a good pro quo quid pro quo I also don't see the speaking fees as being the big deal that's being made out of them although and also weren't they given to the Clinton Foundation? Those uh, fees, I think they were. Well, according to I AP, this they, was
1: to super PACs and directly to her campaign three million dollars directly to her campaign. And I, I, no, I'm speaking I, fees. Oh, the speaking fees, oh, that the yeah. speaking fees went to uh, uh, the Clinton Foundation. foundation. Yeah, I'm not sure right. about that, but although I do want to announce, uh, to everyone who's listening, if anyone wants to give me 20 million dollars. I will not beat up on them. I will happily say I will never beat up on you in exchange for $20 million. I'm just saying, Uh, Des, you had a, a thought?
3: Well, I don't know that releasing the transcripts is really going to do much for anybody except the really strong supporters of either side. And of course, Republicans are going to use that as a tool. But I think the question here really is, who is going to police Wall Street better? And I don't know that what Clinton is saying and also her, her connections with mm-hmm. Wall Street and as a senator who represented Wall Street at a certain time, that uh, I don't know that that's going to be very convincing for people in a general election that she is going to police Wall Street better.
1: Well, and if those transcripts, those speeches show, uh, you know, that she said something terrible, you know, I will look after you, I support you or whatever, you know, who knows what those transcripts end up saying.
3: But they might think also that Bernie can't be that effective. So this is the question that we're
1: We've got just a a couple of minutes here. I know that uh, Joe Dunman, uh, as an attorney, as a civil rights attorney, you had some thoughts about uh, what Bernie uh, was talking. Actually, both of them were sort of talking about litmus tests last night for appointing Supreme Court justices. And the next uh, uh, president may have to appoint or may get to, depending on how you look at it, may get to appoint as many as I would say four justices to the to the bench. A lot of people are saying three, but it could be as many as four. So uh, Joe Dunman, uh, they talked about a litmus test in regard to Citizens United. And I, I think it was Bernie who said that absolutely uh, he would not allow uh, someone, uh, that he would re- require a justice to be committed to overturning the Citizens United uh, decision before he appointed them. That's not really realistic, is it, Joe, as an attorney?
4: No, I mean, I think that was the worst statement Sanders had all night, uh, simply from a technical perspective. You, you're not going to get any appointee for a Supreme Court justice position to vow to rule on any which way on a case. Um, and, two, you know, you don't just get to, to send up whatever case or issue you want. Uh, cases come up to the Supreme Court, uh, however litigation below pans out. I mean, no, no judge in their right mind would vow to rule a certain way on a hypothetical future case. Um, but what what Sanders will most likely do once he gets some advisors that help him out on the process is that you ask them, "Do you think the case was rightly decided?" And if they say no, ask them why. Um, and so his, his his claim that he will make them vow to overrule it is is n- no one will ever do that. Uh, And two, it's just not very realistic. And and you don't want judges who will vow to rule a certain way on a case because, you know, the issues and the facts vary and you don't know what what may come before them. So I thought that was was probably his worst statement of the night uh, on a very strong night for both candidates overall.
1: Carolee, do you have any uh, concerns about how either of these candidates would would deal with the Supreme Court if they were uh, if they were nominated? Does that give us any difference between the two candidates, or are they essentially going to be nominating the same type of uh, of, of candidates to the bench?
5: I, my guess is that they will, because there's a limited universe of candidates that uh, would be considered, you know, nominees that could get through the the confirmation process in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's right. I think that
1: would happen. Well, uh, I say Joe Dunman for the Supreme court. I'm just saying, I'm just saying you, you're doing well. (laughs) You're doing well in Kentucky. You got those people uh, to get their marriage licenses. You did well at the, uh, at the Supreme court. I'm just saying, okay, very, very quickly. This is one thought exercise. I'm going to run through all three of you, so Desi Doyen, you get ready for this, too. Okay, if the general election... Now, Joe, you said you're sort of leaning towards Bernie. Carolee, you said you're leaning towards Hillary, and Desi, you're not leaning towards anyone right now. So here's the thought exercise very quickly. If the general election was between Bernie and Hillary, not the primary, but the general election whoever wins becomes president Carol Lee, who would you vote for bernie or hillary
5: that's not a fair question yes it is <laughs> and i'm not going to answer it because i i have i have some vested interest in remaining objective enough to not have to choose between the two right now
1: okay joe 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 your your decision on that i have no
4: vested interest so um i will say that at If if the election was tomorrow, based on everything I know about them both, I'd vote Bernie Sanders.
1: And Desi Doyen?
3: I'd probably vote for Bernie for Vision.
1: There you go. Okay. As usual, I'm going to duck the question as well, along with uh, Carol Lee. I want to thank all of you guys for uh, for joining us here uh, today. Joe Dunman of, uh, of Kentucky, uh, thank you, by the way, for all the work you've done down there uh, uh, fighting the good fight for civil rights and for marriage equality down there in the Bluegrass State. Really appreciate it. Check him out. Follow him on the Twitters at Joe Dunman. And check out his podcast, Parade of Horribles. You can follow them on the Twitters as well at P.O.H. podcast as well. uh, Carolee Coons. uh, Great to have you uh, back on the broadcast. You can follow uh, her on the Twitters as well at uh, Carolee. That's K.A.R.O.L.I. Thanks to both you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We will be back with you soon. Oh, I think in the next time, uh, our next thrilling episode, we're going to be covering the GOP debate. Will it ever end? Probably not. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. Find and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and, of course, to my guests today, Joe Dunman and Lee Coons. All right. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>